Welcome back to the Rise at Home podcast. The place where we share all the tea, all the laughs, all the failures and all the successes on our journey to financial freedom. My name's Amma. I'm Travis. I'm Money Mikes. And you're listening to Rice at Home. All right, it's recorded. Okay. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Rice at Home podcast. Um, we are back again after technical difficulties. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Seriously, we did not... We did not expect that to happen, but we're back, you know, bounce back from the bad things. Um, just wanted to ask you guys to, you know, keep on commenting, keep on giving us, you know, your your feedback on all the episodes that you've listened to. Um, and yeah, Michael, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm fine. It's not too bad. Just been working on pitching and trying to grow the business obviously apart from that just same old same old yeah likewise my life has been just pitching that's all I know pitching and call work that's it um, we don't have Travis today but we do have a special guest so I would really love for him to introduce himself yo what's up this is Zuby independent rapper creative entrepreneur host of the Real Talk with Zuby podcast and all around nice guy, I'd like to think. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Happy to have you here, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no doubt, man. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, uh, Zuby, please can you tell the listeners what it is you do? Okay. I'd have just given a summary there, but um, I'm yeah, a full-time... Like, like, <laughs> no worries. I'm a, I'm a full-time professional musician. I've been rapping for 12 years, full-time professionally for seven years. I've released five albums and three EPs, including my most recent release, which is called Perseverance, which came out in February. That's available right now on um, iTunes, Spotify, my website, all the usual places. So you can check that out if you want to check out my music. I'm also a creator. I have a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash music, where I... Uh, blogs, music videos. It's called Real Talk with Zuby, uh, midway through January. And I've now done over 20 episodes that comes out every Monday and Friday featuring special guests from different walks of life, interesting people, fascinating people with different perspectives. So we sit down and have in-depth, honest conversations about a big range of topics that can go from culture and society to politics, to music, to technology, to the future, um, you know, relationships, just anything. Uh, it's a so it's a pretty broad, it's a pretty broad spectrum there. Um, I am also a Oxford University graduate. I studied computer science. I don't really use the degree now, obviously, but um, it's there. <laughs> it's on the it's on the credential sheet. I grew up in the Middle East in Saudi Arabia. So if you're hearing my accent and wondering where I'm from, I am actually English, but I didn't grow up in England, so I don't sound oh, it. Oh, that is crazy! Did you go to international school? I did. Yes. Um, those Americans, how do they, how do they do this to all of you? <laughs> uh, to be fair, I mean, I've been in the UK on and off for like 20 years, but, um, yeah, I know when I first came to the, so I went to boarding school when I was 11. So I came to the UK for boarding school at the age of 11. Um, I was still living in Saudi at the time, but I know when I came over, I made a conscious 
decision that I was not going to lose my accent. And it seems like that worked because all of my siblings all have British accents and I'm the only one in my family who sounds like this. Damn. Yeah. What made you decide to keep it? I like it. I sound cool. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it was a conscious thing to begin with, but I think at this stage, at the age I'm at now, it's just kind of embedded. Um, it's, It's softened a little bit. Like, it's now somewhere in the middle between the two. It's probably a little bit more American than it is English, but yeah. it's not like, it used to be 100% completely American. And then um, it softened up after a couple of years and then it's, it's just kind of stayed where it is. It yeah. Makes sense. It's kind of like, um, it's, it sounds like a slightly more American version of, you know, tape. Andrew oh tape. yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like a similar thing with the mix between the American and the English. Yeah, it kind of, yeah, I, I can't say like water and stuff like that. It doesn't work for me. I, I'm, uh, or, or tomato, like that actually, like it kind of hurts my mouth to say. <laughs> I'm like, no, tomato and water. <laughs> that makes sense. So let's just get a bit more into your story. So obviously you went to school in Eng- uh, in Saudi and in England and then you um, graduated from Oxford and became a rapper. What, what's the end of the story of you becoming a rapper and why is it that you decided to be so different in the way you approached rap? Mm. So I've been a hip-hop fan since I was about 13, 14 years old when I came over to the UK and I was in boarding school, you know, teenager, you know, all boys school to begin with and then a mixed school after that. But yeah, we we all used to just listen to listen Dre, Snoop, all that kind of stuff. So I've been a hip hop fan for a while, and then um, when I went to university, in my very first year, I so after the first term, funnily enough, I was I was traveling to Nigeria, and I was flying with Air France, and I got stuck in Paris for a layover because I think they'd overbooked a flight, and I was by myself, and. I, I kind of was just there with my MP3 player. Um, I had a first lyrics I wrote were in um, Charles de Gaulle Airport in Paris. And so I found I, I found that I was able to do it. And then over during that whole holiday, I was just writing down some rhymes and some lyrics and I would just record stuff, you know, just into my phone, just on the basic phone recorder and played it to my my parents and my siblings and stuff. And they were like, oh yeah, that's cool. You know, you've, you've got a talent there and stuff. And then when I came back to university, it actually turned out that one of the guys living on my floor had a little recording studio in his dorm room. Uh, that's my friend, Chris. So I used to just go in there and I'd get some beats off of the internet. And I just recorded my, first of all, the very first song I recorded was called The Bad Man. Um, and so I recorded that and I just kind of sent it out to my friends at university and people and stuff. And people were like, yo, this is cool. Like, this is dope. You should, uh, you should keep doing it and, and stuff like that. And to be fair, I mean, if I go back and listen to like the very, very first songs I made, obviously I've improved <laughs> drastically since then, but they're not bad at all, like considering it was my very first stuff. So I think there was already some sort of natural talent there. And then I, I tapped into it. So that's how it started. When I was in my second year of university, I released my very first album, which was called Commercial Underground. That was just a short eight track album. 
I uh, got it properly pressed up and packaged up. And I, you know, the very first run of CDs I did, I did, I just did 50 and I managed to sell those 50 copies within about two weeks. So that was the point where I was like, oh, you know, this is something I can do something with. If people are happy to give me money for my music, then it's, it's, it could be potentially more than a hobby. And I ended up selling between, I think I sold two to 3000 copies of that album in total. So, yeah. So that was the real sort of light bulb of like, oh, okay. Like, you know, I can do something with this. Then, um, I graduated. I, so I had a job offer before I graduated. I had a, a good job offer from a management consulting company in London. But I was kind of like, you know, I graduated when I was 20. So it wasn't like I was in some super duper rush to go into, um, you know, go into the corporate world or whatever. And I had my music stuff going. I already had my second album written and mostly recorded. So I was like, you know, let me do my music full time for one year. So I deferred the job offer. I was like, yeah, I'll come work for you guys. But, you know, give me a year. I'm going to explore some stuff. So I did my music full time for a year. I was just traveling all over the UK, all these different cities, north, south, east, west, standing on the high street, stopping people, selling my CDs, just doing the hand-to-hand hustle. And then, um, yeah, I moved to London. After that year, I started working full time, doing the whole doing the whole corporate job thing. And yeah, I did that for three years whilst juggling my music on the side. I put out another two releases whilst I was still in full-time occupation. And then um, early 2011, I was I was just feeling a little bit restless. I had maybe like a, a quarter life crisis maybe. And I was just kind of like, okay, what do I actually want to do? I've got these different skills, these different interests, these different abilities. And both careers were starting to, as I was progressing in both careers, they were, they were starting to fight against each other. So I would want to do something with my music, but the you know, my, my full-time job would be holding me back and vice versa. And so in 2011, at the beginning, I was like, okay, by the end of this year, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to go do my music full-time. So I kind of made that commitment in my brain at the beginning of 2011 and November, November, 2011, I took that jump and, um, yeah, I haven't died yet. I haven't starved to death yet. So (laughs) it's not, (laughs) it hasn't, it hasn't always been easy. It's still, it's still not easy to this day. You know, it's, um, a lot of people think that that music is. A lot of people have this weird delusion that music is some sort of easy way to uh, make loads of money or something like that. And it's just like, nah, man. If my goal was just to make money in a very comfortable fashion, I would have absolutely stuck with what I was doing because I would have been very comfy if I just stayed doing that. But um, you know, in my heart of hearts, I, I know I'm a very creative person. I kind of felt like a, I kind of felt like a probably like a lion feels if it's in a zoo. You know, like if you put a lion in a cage, it's like, no, that's not really its proper habitat. Like it can't, yeah. it can't run around and chase after gazelles and do what, it, do what it's kind of supposed to be doing. So that's kind of how I felt in that environment. So, you know, I've always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial streak. So, yeah, I just figured that that's what I'd do. And yeah, I took that jump and here we are now, seven years later. Yeah, that makes sense. I like how like from day one, you weren't kind of trying to get a record deal or trying to get someone else to put you on you're very much a self-starter and you you hustled your way from the beginning yeah it's interesting how like a lot of people especially in you know the urban community kind of feel like they have to get someone to put them on or someone to 
give them that leg up when it comes, mm. especially when it comes to the creative industry. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I think I was way ahead of the curve on that one because I think it's like cool to be independent now and people who are signed on labels try to claim that they're independent. But um, when I was started out independent, it was not like the cool thing to be independent. It was everyone was trying to get a deal. It was always, oh, this artist is signed. This artist is unsigned. Now I don't think people really give a crap, not for the most part. Um, so yeah, from the beginning, I was like, I'm just going to focus on having a fan base, having an audience, developing, cultivating my own audience. And because ultimately that's the, that's the lifeblood of any artist. It doesn't matter if you're independent or signed or unsigned. If you've got an audience who is going to support you, then you can do stuff. And if you don't, it doesn't really matter. You could have someone who, you know, gets a lot of promo or PR or gets a lot of money pumped into them or whatever. But at the end of the day, if that doesn't lead to a fan base of people who actually want to support them and check out what they're doing, then all that stuff is irrelevant. You'd be better off being independent and actually having a small number of people who genuinely love what you do and, you know, having some way to make the most of that and hopefully be able to monetize it in some way. Yeah, that makes sense. 100%. It's about like the thousand fans, isn't it? If you only have a thousand fans, you'll, you'll, you'll be good. Um, well, uh, <laughs> you want more than that. <laughs> to get, well, the thing is to get, the, I, I know you're talking about the thousand real fans theory, but to get a thousand real fans, you probably, you're probably going to want to have like 200,000 um, like more passive fans to mm-hmm. actually realistically not, if, if you only have 1,000 fans, you'll, you'll probably have about like five or 10, which are super hardcore. So if you want to get that number up to 1,000, then you have to probably max that out to like 200, 300, 400,000 people knowing who you are before you'll have that 1,000. Yeah, for sure. Mm. It depends on what you're doing, though, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. So what made you decide to be independent? Was it just the fact that you'd been able to make money independently and you didn't feel the need to change what wasn't broken or well you know the, the more you learn about the music business the less you'll ponder that question um the music industry is it's from from decades ago it's always been designed to screw over the artist like it's it's a very the the way deals are structured in music now and historically it's always just been very dodgy like the number the numbers just don't make sense i mean on a typical record deal, the artist will be getting somewhere between, say, nine to twelve points, which is like percentage. So, you know, if you buy if you buy someone's album and you pay ten pounds, then assuming they've recouped, which the majority of artists I don't believe ever do, you know, they're only getting like ninety p or one pound of that ten pounds. And yeah, sure, if you can sell ten million albums, like you know, some people used to back in the day, not like anyone's doing that now, but um. Yeah, you know, some people would be able to make money directly off the records like that. But um, it's, it's just very skewed. And there, yeah, the, the more you learn about how the business really works, it becomes a lot easier to understand why, <clears throat> why a lot of artists would choose to stay independent. I mean, it's at the stage now where like I question, I, I'm, I really like question people who sign with labels. I'm like, why are you doing that? Like, why would you do that? Especially if they've already got a good fan base and are able to do shows and monetize and stuff. Unless you're trying to get to, you know, Beyonce level, Justin Bieber level, you know, if you're trying to be like super duper massive internationally, then yeah, you do need that big machine behind you. But if not, I personally think it's, uh, I actually think it's quite foolish. Yeah, that makes sense. 
do you actually think that um, people still need labels if they're trying to get to like stardom level? If you want to become an internet, you're not going to be Beyonce without a record label. So, I mean, if you 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 can be a you can be a successful artist without being signed, absolutely. Yeah. But if you if you want to be, I mean, I mean, who's the biggest artist in the world who is not signed? Would you say? Uh, I don't know. The only person that comes to mind in my head is Chance the Rapper. Yeah, yeah, but he he's like he's like the, does deals with Apple and stuff. So, I mean, also oh, does that count? I mean. Apple's the, biggest, Apple's the biggest company in the world. So even if they're not a record label, I mean, they own iTunes, they own Apple Music. I mean, it depends on what you call independent. Like if you're doing deals with, if you've got a, if you've got a distribution deal with Apple, I would question if you're actually independent. Like that's a bigger deal than someone being signed <laughs> to an independent or even a major label. Like that's, that's like the deal of deals. Yeah. Yeah. That would be like me. That would be like Spotify, you know, signing me and, you know, in fact, big. I mean, Apple's bigger than Spotify. That would, yeah. So it's, it's like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's independent in a sense, but you've kind of got the whole industry behind you anyway, and all these other ways, shapes, and forms. So I personally would question calling that independent, like in a, in the true sense. Okay. Not not to take anything away, but I don't really think that's independent. Yeah, I understand. It's interesting. I'm just trying to look at it from an objective standpoint. Because I thought <laughs> that in this age, anyone can become a star. And to be honest, you have said that to a certain level, you can yeah. definitely become a star with social media alone, just you doing what you do. But I guess that machine is really the distribution to go worldwide, to go fan. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the money and the marketing and the access to the radio and the playlisting and all that kind of stuff as well. I mean, when when I'm talking superstar level, I'm talking like Taylor Swift, Beyonce, Rihanna, you know, even in hip hop, you know, Eminem, Jay Z, Kanye, you know, like those guys wouldn't Drake, you know, Drake wouldn't be at that level had he gone independent. You know, had he stayed independent all the way? I mean, I, I've been listening to Drake since he was legit. You know, since before he got signed. So, so he he still he still could have been you know a very successful artist. Yeah. But um, you know, in terms of the absolute global impact, it wouldn't be at you know at that kind of level. That's where that's where the labels can really can really do something because they've they've been doing this for decades. So they've yeah. kind of got all those links. There there are certain there are certain channels that you're just are near impossible to access if you're independent. Even, even big radio stations, like getting playlisted on Radio 1 without a record label is, I don't want to say it's, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's extremely unlikely. Uh, it's yeah. extremely unlikely because, you know, they've only got maybe 30 slots on their playlist and you'd be like, I'd be, you know, if I tried to get something playlisted on there, I would literally be directly competing with Rihanna and all these aforementioned artists and Lady Gaga, like I, I can't compete with that. There's no way on earth they're <laughs> going to playlist my song ahead of Lady Gaga's song. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. What, so, what do you think in terms of? So, obviously, you're very much an advocate for being independent and mm. owning everything that you do and owning all your masters and stuff. What do you think of some of kind of the hybrid deals that are going on at the moment? So, for example, where you have like a scissor for example where she has her deal with TDE and then TDE and 
SZA went forward and signed a deal with RCA and they got 70% of proceeds. So effectively, it's like they've hired the label rather than they are signing to a label. Gotcha, yeah. I, that's kind of the deal um, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis did back with their album, The Heist, I believe. So, I mean, something like that, I mean, is is that that makes a lot more sense. I mean, the thing is, the bigger the audience you've got, I mean, it, it's all it's about leverage, right? So if yeah. you've really got something and you're bringing it to the table and they need them more than, sorry, they need you more than you need them, then yeah, you can tilt things in your favor. That's when you can be like, no, okay, like we want 70%, we want 80% rather than them being like, okay, well, we're funding this whole thing. We're taking all the risks. So you guys have 10 or 15% and we'll keep 90 or 85. So, you know, I mean, it, it's it's impossible to speak for all artists because everybody's situation is different. I do believe that the vast, vast, vast majority of artists, and when I say that, I'm talking like over 90%, maybe over 95%. I think don't really have much business or necessity signing a record deal in 2019. There are other people who that might make sense for, um, you know, for, for business reasons or just because their aspirations are so big, you know, they really, you know, you literally want to be, you know, you're trying to get where Nicki Minaj is or you're trying to get where Ariana Grande is or you're trying to get where... I don't know, you know, some of some of these really big artists with fan bases in the tens, tens of millions, then yeah, I mean that's gonna that's gonna cost tens of millions. So you need someone who's willing to put that up and oftentimes that's gonna be a label and then they'll have access to all those other things on a global level as well, right? If you wanna get if you wanna get radio airplay on like the big stations, not just in your country, but across the USA, across Europe, Asia, Japan, like doing all that stuff from your bedroom good luck yeah <laughs> that's where that's when you need a i mean because record labels have you know they have teams of hundreds of people so you know there's there's only so much you're going to be able to do by yourself or with three or four of you you know that you just don't have the ability or the resources in most cases yeah definitely i feel as though like the uk has embraced independent artistry a lot more than mm. the u.s the U.S. has always had it, man, especially in the South, like those guys in, you know, Texas and Atlanta and all that. I mean, that's what really inspired me to get out on the streets and sell my CDs because I was reading about how all these guys used to do it. You know, how did Ludacris, Chameleon Air, um, Master P, Slim Thug, Too Short, all these guys, they used to just sell their CDs on the street. So that was really what inspired me to just go out there and do it like that. Just bypass all these layers and just go straight to the consumer, right? If my goal is to sell a CD, why go through 500 different channels? Why not just go direct to the person who's going to potentially buy it and sell it to them and not have to split it so many ways and go through all this convoluted stuff, right? It's better to... So that that, that was the way that I, I viewed it. So, I mean... So, sorry, coming back to the original thing. So I think that um, a lot of the independent hustle was really pioneered in the in the 90s and the early thousands by certain artists in the US. But um, yeah, I think now in the, in the newer age, it's good to see what's happening in the UK. And it's nice to see that there's finally a, a stage reached where it's not just one rapper. For a very long time, it seemed like the UK was only allowed to have like one rapper or two rappers max who were allowed to get any sort of shine. It was like that for ages. There was a time when it was um, when it was Tinchy Strider. There was a time when it was Tiny Temper. There was a time when it was um, 
maybe Kano, but it was always like, it was like one or two people at a time. And now it's like the floodgates have opened and it's like, oh, wow, look, there are a whole bunch of, there are tens, if not, you know, maybe a hundred plus different artists who are all doing things and are touring. I mean, people didn't used to be able to tour. That's a whole nother story. But people are now touring, people are merchandising, people are, you know, getting getting put on playlists, racking up lots of video plays, all that stuff. I mean, it's, it's good to see it. It's really good to see it. Yeah, definitely. And I'd, I'd say that having followed you from when I think it was, when Introspection came out, whichever tape that was on. Mm, that's 2011. I just said that's 2011. Yeah, 2011. And seeing then, because then I didn't really know about entrepreneurship. I didn't understand how, I didn't know a lot of the business lessons I know now. Mm. But I could see that what you were doing was special and somehow better than signing to a label, even though I was a kid at the time. Thank you. How, how did you how did you come across it? On Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah, literally on Twitter. Um, I think you followed me actually, and then I followed back, and then I checked out some of your stuff. And like, I remember even when you were trying to reach out to F sixty four. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like after a week, they didn't get back to you, and you were like, "Okay, cool. I'm going to shoot my own." <laughs> yeah, man, that's my mentality. Yeah, and that was like the coolest thing ever to me. Like I've yeah. always wanted to do music, and now have, now kind of understanding business more. I have more of an understanding of what it is I want to do musically. Okay. Yeah. And I think I've had a lot of conversations with people who listen to the podcast who, like, on the one side, kind of similar to you and I, did uni and have jobs and stuff, but music is their real passion. They're wondering how to apply their understanding of business mm. to music so they can do the thing that they're really passionate about. Yeah. So, with that being said, talk to us about creative entrepreneurship and how it is that you're going about monetizing music beyond just album sales. Yeah, sure. So, um, it's, um, that's something that's in a, a transitory period for me right now, because I'm looking to quite significantly transform my own business model and introduce some new ones just because now one of the biggest challenges, like I said, I started making music in, I literally started rapping in 2005. So the amount that the entire landscape and the way that people consume music and the way that people get it has changed so much over that relatively short period. So when I started out, I mean, first of all, the internet landscape was completely different. YouTube had just, YouTube had just, yep, YouTube had just started. MySpace was everything. Um, the average person on the street had not heard of Facebook. I was actually, I've been on Facebook since 2004. So I was one of the first people in the entire, well, in the world on Facebook. But, um, you know, most people hadn't heard anything about Facebook, Twitter, I don't think existed yet. Instagram and Snapchat certainly did not exist. Nope. You know, the, the whole landscape was different. The word streaming didn't mean anything to anybody. If someone said stream, they'd be like, huh? Even iTunes, even iTunes was only just beginning. So, you know, the landscape was very different. It was very physical medium based. I mean, I, I often joke that had it, had the landscape not changed so much, I'm pretty confident I'd be a multimillionaire by now, just off of my initial business model. Because um, Lord knows how many albums I would have sold by now if people were still buying CDs like they were back then. But, um, 
you know, I don't want to dwell in the past. So, uh, <laughs> so um, with, with myself, I mean, over the last couple of years, what I've been doing a lot is doing the pop-up shops. So the Blue and Purple store, which I founded with my with my friend Shouto. Um, so we're doing those multiple times a year, oftentimes like once a month or once every two months. So that's a pop-up shop where I sell my music, my merchandise, hats, t-shirts, hoodies, as well as my CDs and everything like that. So um, I do that. So I've been doing that. Um, I've done that in about 12 different cities, different shopping centers around the UK. So that's been good because obviously I've got a very big merchandise brand. So it's been good to have, you know, let people have access to all that stuff. And it's been a great way to just promote myself and reach new audiences. Um, I've also done some live tours. So organized and book, booked my own live tours. And then when I do shows, I sell merchandise at those as well. This year, what I'm really focusing on is working on the online monetization because that's something that um, I've got massive room for growth on. And obviously, it's a it's a growing market rather than a declining one. So I'm looking into different online business models and trying to see what will work best for me and my capabilities and what I want to do. So that's something I'm really looking at now. I'll be looking to monetize the podcast eventually as well. Um, trying to think what else. I'm also looking to get more into public speaking and stuff like that. So I've been uh, I've been booked to do one next month. Actually, I'm speaking at a technology conference in Plymouth, and um, I've potentially been invited to do a couple speaking things in the USA. Although I don't really want to talk on that yet because it's still very much early days to see if it's even going to be possible. But um, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking to. Uh, I, th- I think the key thing is entrepreneurship in general, but particularly in something like music and entertainment where the landscape keeps changing. I think you've really just got to be, you've got to be quite nimble on your feet. You've got to just see where things are going and, you know, keep doing what is already working, but always be looking for new opportunities and things like that, which, which is difficult because, you know, sometimes when something is working well, the last thing you want to do is be forced to change it. But it's like you've got to do that, and you can all look. We can all look at businesses that failed to do that, and um, yeah, <laughs> you know, kind of, kind of, yeah, you know, and and they yeah. they bared the consequence, right? The the landscape changed, they refused to change, and then they got swept away. So I think you can you can either ride the wave, or you can get you can get swept over by it. So I'm always trying to keep my eyes open, keep my keep my ears open, and just see what's see what's happening and see what else I can do. So. Hopefully I'll have um, a better answer to that in the next sort of six months or so where I'll uh, hopefully have created something new and have some uh, new ideas in terms of the business and have some stuff that's up and running. But uh, that's sort of, those have been my models to get to where I am thus far. So for the first several years, it was literally primarily the street hustle, just CDs, pure music. And then um, last few years, it's been largely based around the pop-up shop and now I'm looking to, you know, maintain some of those things, but expand it and really start monetizing online. Because I've got a big, I've got a big ass following online. I mean, I've got like almost seventy five thousand people who follow me online across the different platforms, and I'm, uh, I'm certainly not monetizing that anywhere near as well as I could or should be. So I'm doing a lot of work on working the best way to do that. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I was actually going to ask you about that next. So how did you go about growing your following? Is it just a thing where um, 
just over time you accrue these followers or do you have a strategy or um a lot of it has been actually from my real world effort so a lot of the people who follow me say on facebook or on youtube or whatever those are people who i connected with online oh, sorry those are people i connected with offline or people who bought a cd or people who came to a gig or people who um bought a t-shirt or whatever at the store and then they jumped on to whatever platform and followed me on there so that was some of it um it depends on the platform really for the different platforms i treat them a little bit differently um funnily enough my primary one right now in terms of activity as you, as you probably noticed is is my twitter where um i just sort of i just keep it real which seems to cause problems and the more i keep it real the more my following grows so <laughs> so i'm just uh twitter twitter i treat differently twitter i just if it's on my mind and it's not too um obscene or something like that then i i just you know put it out there um obviously i i post my music i post my work i post my links but sometimes it's just thoughts and um just connecting with a range of different people cuz you know i like having conversations that's one of the reasons that's the primary reason i started my podcast just to have a different outlet beyond the music um with my other ones facebook instagram those are more based around my music itself live gigs little things i'm doing occasionally i'll post some fitness stuff cuz that's another passion of mine so yeah a lot of it has been i mean it's been it's been a long term thing right it hasn't been like a uh, 70,000 followers in six months sort of thing it's like no nah, it's taken me it's take, it's taken like a decade to to build that much of a following online so i'm sure there are ways i could have done it a lot quicker and i probably could have just you know chucked loads of money at it and some of that would have been more quick but i think it would have been less organic and i like the fact that the you know for the most part i've invested very little money in growing all those things it's just been primarily it's been primarily organic Yeah, that's dope. I think Amber's really good at the organic growth thing as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have a, you know, some skill, I guess. <laughs> um, I guess you um I don't know how you've managed to like the specific things that you've done. Obviously, you talked a little bit around, you know, the time period and things you were doing, following people that, you know, already ride with you, but What are like did you tweet specific things because for me that's how I've been growing my following just based on psychology and just how people work and just oh you know how it goes yeah. in that side of Twitter you know what I mean mhm yeah. yeah i mean it's i just um it's funny like i don't i don't have a twitter strategy i mean i've <laughs> i've gained 13,000 twitter followers in the past 2 weeks but um wow <laughs> Yeah, but you know that was cuz I did I made one post that literally gained me 12,000 followers. So, you know, I, I couldn't I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah. Did, did you expect that? <laughs> no, man. I mean, it it did it did 15 million impressions one tweet. Wow. So, no, I mean I I couldn't have planned that. And then obviously, you know, there was all the there was all the media stuff following it. I mean, it, it was covered in the Sunday Times. It was covered by Piers Morgan on Good Morning Britain. I had an interview with BBC Radio 1, BBC Solent, the New York Times even got in touch although the article didn't didn't come through in the end. Um so yeah. The thing is on Twitter I've got a lot of um I have quite a few very influential followers. So I have some people who if they retweet me then it's going to it's going to cause a storm. So 
you know, if I've had I've had quite a few viral posts, and it's it's very interesting with with both Twitter and Instagram now. I mean, for the past for most of the, my time doing music, my audience has always been primarily based in the UK, but now most of my Twitter following is in the USA. Most of my Instagram following is in the USA. Most of my podcast listeners are in the USA. So, um, as I've been wondering for the past decades, sometimes I think I'm in the wrong country and I, I've kind of been building my career in the wrong place, but, uh, we'll see, we'll see how that all works out. Again, that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to find this post. It's, it's pinned. Yeah. It's, it's the, oh, you the, see it, it's the, one. the deadlift one. I've got, it's a video of me doing a deadlift. Are you serious? Yeah, it's got it's the video has 1.25 million views. Yeah. Oh, but obviously it's not just you doing a deadlift. Oh, it's me doing it's me doing a deadlift identifying as a woman. <laughs> <laughs> and, and taking the UK uh deadlift women's record. women women's deadlift record and the bench press as well afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, so I was I was just making a little satirical point, and um, it seems to have struck a lot of nerves. I mean, it's still striking nerves. Like uh, every day, I've still got people, whether they're whether they're happy with me or angry at me, I've still got people. Oh my gosh! People tweeting me about it um, every day. Yeah, so that was bananas. So that that that's taken up the majority of my last two weeks. Like that single tweet, because I had so many media inquiries and interviews, and so much stuff happened off the back of it. Um, it's all been a little bit surreal, but uh, it's starting to calm down a little bit more now. So I'm sort of back to normalcy, but I've got a whole lot more people listening to what I'm saying. So that's cool. Well, people don't understand, you know, like you have no idea there can be one tweet, one <laughs> tweet that can get you into the hands of somebody. You had no idea you had the reach. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I was on. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Ben Shapiro. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I was on his show last week, um, and yeah, that like <laughs> that was pretty bizarre. So you know, I ended up on the biggest um, conservative radio show in the, in the USA, if not the entire world. So yeah, that was weird. Oh damn! <laughs> yeah, I, what was it like? I can't, I can't compete against that boy. I need to. <laughs> yeah, all, thing is, all my tweets that go viral have nothing to do with my music, um, which is annoying, right? Yeah, yeah. As long as it's not, I'm like, man, I, I'm like, man. I wish I could. I wish I could do this for, um, for like something to do with my music. But um, yeah, with, with meme or something like that. Yeah, with Twitter, I find with for myself like people seem to be very interested in my kind of just my view on the world whether that's social stuff whether that's politics whatever it is like people always just seem interested in in hearing my my take on it which is which is weird because it's again it's not something that i that i planned or i started out as you know i used to be very very apolitical but um it, it turns out that i don't know that my my perspective on a lot of things is a lot far different to um what a lot of people expect or what people think it might be or whatever. So um, there's, there's a couple of rumors going, going around that I'm being secretly funded by the Tory party. I'm but, so, oh my gosh. Or, um, <laughs> or, or, or the, or the Russian government. Wow. I've had that one too, um, which is very amusing, but uh, yeah, it's, it's really funny with Twitter though. Cause I really don't feel like I, I post anything that's extremely contentious or, 
purposely like offensive or anything like that. It's really not where I'm coming from. I'm just very much like, uh, okay, this is what I think about this, or this is what I think about that, and you know, sometimes I sometimes I say something which I know people will re will react to, but my goal is never to offend somebody or attack anybody. I never insult people on there or whatever, unless they unless they come very hard at me first. So yeah, tw Twitter's um. Twitter's fun. It's, I'm not sure it's really good for people's mental, for most people's mental health. It's but, not. Um, <laughs> but fortunately, I'm very resilient in that sense. I'm, I'm not a particularly emotional person. So, um, you know, someone can be sending me all kinds of wild stuff on there and I'm literally just sitting there laughing. So it's not a, it's not a big deal to me. I just use it as a tool. Yeah, I've had a few trolls. Oh, gosh. And I had to school them. Just uh, yeah. <laughs> they were just chatting the most crap, and it's like you wandered over here with your two followers, and you decided to tell me that I'm trash because I'm telling people that they're trash. But <laughs> they're trash. People aren't doing what they need to be doing. That, this is what I'm here to do. I, I told, I, I positioned myself as someone. I'm like everyone's big sister, you know, the big sister that just tells you to get your shit together. That's. Yeah. You know, and someone was coming at me for it, and I was like, "Ah, oh, I can't, not today." You, you know the you know the funny thing with Twitter. One thing I've noticed about well, this is this is wider human psychology, is that one of the best ways to annoy people and to provoke an emotional reaction in them is to tell them something that is true, mm -hmm. but that they don't want to be true. Ooh. This is this is something I, I've I've learned over the course of time. So. If someone is, you know, it's like with anything, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a friend who drinks too much and you and tell them, right. <laughs> and you, and you, and you, you tell them, or, you know, you, you insinuate that drinking loads is not, it's not good or healthy or conducive to a successful life, then you're going to get a very, you're going to get it. You're going to get a strong backlash. If somebody eats way too many donuts and too much fast food. And as a result, they're, um, you know, very large and blubbery, <laughs> then if you suggest that, you know, being being in shape is good or that people should take more personal responsibility or whatever the case may be, you're gonna get you're gonna get a backlash. If you it doesn't matter, anything to do with anything to do with any kind of like self improvement or it's gonna be a mess. You know, you know, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a mess. Especially if you annoy women, especially if you step on women's toes. Especially. Um, I'm, I'm actually quite like I'm quite surprised I haven't been grilled as much as because some of my tweets yeah I look at them <laughs> I'm like Amma you just like you just targeted yourself like you, I'm true <laughs> you know I'm, I'm, I'm true and no one's really coming at me like that everyone's oh, okay. like, yeah. you know okay. is she a witch how does she know this about me so I don't know why I'm getting that response I, I don't want to be oh. as like someone's mom I've I really okay want making me into an answer send me the same tweet and i'll tweet it and we'll see what happens <laughs> it, <laughs> it might be it might be the messenger <laughs> it might be the messenger <laughs> i can i can assure you if i if i tweet something telling women what they should be doing or what they shouldn't be doing i'm, I'm gonna uh they're gonna they're gonna try to I'm drag gonna me harsher there as my you know as my <laughs> out, i'm gonna be harsher <laughs> <So> <laughs> they, should, they should really just take guys listening you, hear me out just take what I'm putting out as child's play because I'm really coming for you when I've got the peas in the bank account thank you yeah <laughs> the, the, the funny thing with it though is like 
the thing with me is, you know, especially online, but just generally, you know, I, I always just try to maintain a sense of humor. So yeah, I can be serious about some stuff. You know, I talk about serious stuff sometimes, but I just think, you know, for all of us, you know, I think, I think, I think just generally in society, people just need to kind of regain their sense of humor. You just got this weird, you know, you've got this outrage culture and everyone wants to be outraged and everyone wants to be angry and indignant and all this all the time. And it's just very tiresome. I'm just like, look, like this thing that you're mad about, this thing you're angry is first of all, it's probably not that serious. You know, occasionally you'll get something that is and it's like, okay, if it is, then, you know, outrage is worthy. But oftentimes it's just, you know, some stranger across the world tweeted something that you don't like and now your day or your week is ruined because this person who you don't know and have had no previous interaction with said something you don't like on Twitter. It's like, does, does that make sense? Is that healthy? No. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you can, you don't, no one is forcing you to... I'm, I'm convinced that some people just go online to try to find stuff that they know is going to annoy them and they, they, they just want to like shout at someone or engage with something and I'm just like, yeah. I don't know. It's um, it's weird, but I think it tells you a lot about human psychology. Oh, for think- sure. I'm watching like a hawk what people are saying, how they're reacting to things, mm. and kind of using that for not even my own personal gain, but just just to watch. You know, just yeah, just, like, have a little bit more understanding of people because even last week, you know, when the whole announcement came out um, about Kylie um, becoming a millionaire, a billionaire. Sorry, mm-hmm. wow. Um, it it was. Twitter was an uproar. Everyone was angry. Everyone was like, she's not <laughs> made fam. I schooled everyone and their cousin. To be honest, I wish I knew one fact, one more fact, and I would have schooled everybody. The fact that Kylie really got alone, she's been cut off from her family since she was 15. So okay. yes, yeah, she has social currency, but money-wise, she had to get that. She had to get that from early. But everyone just want, wants to come, you know, for her just because of her social currency. But at the end of the day, if there was a Kardashian system, why aren't the Kardashians mid- and billionaires as well? She clearly has some special source out of all of them that they don't have. Look, even if you even if you inherit 10 million and you turn it to a billion, then it's still impressive. You know, it's like all the people who want to like, you know, <laughs> like I remember when, you know, when everyone was, was railing on Trump about the fact that I mean, Trump is worth what, like three or four billion, and people are like, oh, but his dad gave him money. His dad. I'm like, a lot of people. I'm like, a lot of people's dads give them money. How many of them turn it into four billion dollars? You know, if if you know, <laughs> that was like, my how, as well. <laughs> how many people? You know? How many pe- How many people? If you give them five million pounds, are going to be able to turn it to one billion? Like, let's be honest. She, she was even given two hundred and fifty thousand. The same loans. The yeah. same same equity loans that your bros your tech bros and your faves yeah. faves entrepreneurs are getting she got the same even less I'm hearing people getting three four million valuations and she's getting mm. 250,000 and yeah it's just it's just salt it's just salt you know I, that, that's something I, I've just I have no interest in I've never been a hater and I have no interest in being a hater yeah. if someone does if someone does something impressive they like good for them Good yeah. for them. Like, you know, I mean, that's how that's how I've always been. That's always been my mentality. Same with music. You know, if there's a there's lots of rappers or singers or whatever who I don't personally like their music, but you know, if they've done well and they've I'm like, oh, good for them. Do you know what I mean? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend my whole day being salty and writing diss tracks against them. You know what I mean? It's just like, but you, you know, you know what I mean? I'm just like, well, why like them? 
it's it's scarcity mindset, right? Too many people think that life is zero sum. I mean, there are people who literally believe this, right? A lot yeah. of people literally think that everything is zero sum. They think that because that person is a billionaire, that they're the reason why other people are poor. And I'm just like, you don't understand how money and economics works. It, it's not it's not zero sum, right? Someone Bill Gates having billions of dollars doesn't mean that. I can now not make money because he's sitting there like on a pile of it all, hoarding it all. It's like, no, that's a very, that's like, that's like a very, that's like a five-year-old's understanding of the economy. It's like, that's not, <laughs> do, you, do you know what I mean? It's just, but yeah. you, have grown, you have grown adults who think this way. And I'm just like, that's not how, that's not how money works, right? One person being rich doesn't mean that you or either of you guys that I'm talking to that you can now not be successful because that rich person over there is hoarding all of your money. Do you know what I mean? But people think like that. So it just breeds resentment. People see someone that someone who has something they have or something they don't and that, you know, oh, they took that from me or they must have stolen it or they must have done some something dodgy to get it. And it's just like, no, that's not how that's not how stuff works. So I'm I'm just, yeah, with everything, I'm very much about a I celebrate. I don't hate. Like if she may, if she's got a billion in her, I'm like, good for her, man. Good for her. Like I don't, I don't follow her stuff. I, I have no interest in the Kardashian family, but good for her. You know what I mean? Like I, I can't knock that. Have I done that? No. So <laughs> maybe, maybe if I'm maybe if I'm sitting on three billion, I can be like, hmm. Well, she should have done this. You know? Yeah, she should have done that. But I'm like, look, man. Like, I did that many... when I was fifteen. You know? Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's like it's or it's like it's like when people watch professional sports and they're they're like shouting at them and cussing them and saying how crap they are. And I'm like, mate, like, are you like, you know, what I mean, how are your football skills? <laughs> <laughs> um, are you making a hundred k a week? It's like, yeah, I'm oh, not. Gosh, I'm most certainly not. I wish. I, I, I one day, one See, day. But the, but but the thing is, the fact that they are making one hundred k a week does not mean that you can't. True. This is the yeah. thing, like that. That's how people look at it, and it's like, no, you're looking at this the wrong way, like, because people are always complaining. Oh, it's unfair how much footballers get. I'm like, why do you care how much they get paid? Why does it matter? You, they, yeah. It's not like it's not like if you pay them less, they're going to come and give you that money. <laughs> you know? Do you know what I mean? How the business works. <laughs> I even think like this. I say, <laughs> oh, you know, nurses deserve it more. And to be fair, as much as they deserve more money. Their their industry sucks. <laughs> like yeah. yeah, well, you know. Yeah, and I mean the oh. thing is as well is the the weird thing is the people who think like this. Like I'm not even um like I'm only interested in money to the degree that it's like, you know, allows the opportunity for freedom and security and charity and all those things which I think are important. I'm I'm not I'm not a very, I'm not a materialistic person. I mean I'm sitting here in my living room. I don't even I don't even own a flipping television. So. I'm not a, I'm not a materialistic person. So what I also find funny is oftentimes the people who are levying these criticisms, they are sort of, they're kind of coming from a position talking about how, oh, money isn't everything. Money's not that important, but they're the ones who are kind of trying to determine everything by money. And I'm just like, look, there's a lot of things, like if your goal is just to go into a career or an occupation that's going to pay you the maximum amount of money, then yeah, you probably want to be some kind of like, corporate lawyer or investment banker or working in private equity or whatever, right? If you're going to be a nurse, you don't get into nursing to become a millionaire. Exactly. So why would you expect, I, I don't know, like why, like the expectations don't really make sense to me because I'm like, 
well, if that's your goal, if, if your goal is just to maximize your income, then, I mean, there are certain entire career paths, like why would you be a teacher? Yeah, you're not going to become a millionaire being a teacher, but you don't become, you don't become a teacher because of that. You, you've got other things that you value. You want to help people. You want to educate. You enjoy working with children or young people or whatever. And it's like, that's all good. So it doesn't matter if you've got someone down the street or someone else in the country who earns literally 1,000 times as much as you. Who cares? As long, I mean, if you, as long as you're not out on the street starving or something, that might be different. But it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. This whole weird thing of people always comparing themselves to each other. I don't, I just don't, I don't like it. I don't like their resentment. And I, it's why I don't like a lot of, um, <laughs> it's why I don't like a lot of left-wing politics, to be honest with you. Because I think a lot of it is steeped in resentment. You know, I think there are some good points and it's not always like that. But hearing certain people talk, it's like a lot of it is just always seems to be steeped in resentment and the idea, oh, that person has more than you. So we need to take it. We need to tax them at 80% and take their money and redistribute it. And just like, that's their money though. Like, let them keep their money. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll even go I personally don't actually believe nurses deserve more. And my reason for that is whatever you earn is always going to be a fraction of what you generate. Of course. So if you are only generating a certain amount of money, you're mm -hmm. going to be paid a percentage of that. And footballers are getting ju just the same as nurses because football is a billion, if not trillion dollar industry. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, they get a small, small percentage of that. In fact, it wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if like healthcare professionals get a higher percentage of what they generate than football professionals. It wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. It's like, it's not, it's not, I think deserve is a bad word because people aren't paid based on what they deserve. Your people are paid based on the value that they, that they create or they generate or they add. So yeah. like, I feel like I deserve to be paid way more than I am. But at the moment, you know, in terms of the way, like I'm doing certain things, it's like, okay, well, I, I haven't yet created the value proposition or sold it in a way or whatever that enables me to be paid significantly more. You, you kind of see what I mean, right? Yeah. If, if I get to a stage where I can go to a venue and I can do a live performance and 1000 people want to come and they want to pay 20,000 pounds each. If that happens, you can now justify paying me 15,000 pounds for one hour because I've brought in 20,000 pounds. So I can, you can book me and I'll, I'll charge you, cool, I'll charge you 15,000. And then, and then at that stage, it's like, okay, like that's when, that's when I should be paid 15,000 pounds for an hour. <laughs> but until then, until I can do that, then it's like a pipe dream. Cause if I'm not creating at least, you know, as you said earlier, Michael, if I'm not creating more money than that for whoever is doing the venue or the promoter or whatever, then how can I expect to be paid more than is being generated like it's just not how the economy works you know it's not how it works yeah so um yeah so you know it's a yeah <laughs> it's a, it's a funny one though like I, I get in a lot of um this is something where, where I, I tend to get in a lot of debates with people especially because uh people are like oh my gosh you're so you're so conservative you're so right-wing you're so i'm like whatever but um, <laughs> i'm just like look I, I just understand how i understand how the world works so it's just like, you know, I don't have any delusions about things. It's just like, well, you know, if that's the case, then that's the case. I just try to operate in, operate in reality. That makes perfect sense. 
So with the podcast, what's your kind of strategy or plan to monetize that? That's a good question. I've been doing quite a lot of research on that today um, to try to find out the various options. So at the moment, I haven't, um, you know, I only started it in mid-January. So, you know, monetization off the bat wasn't something I was really thinking too much about. But as the audience grows, as it progresses, I mean, it takes up a lot of my time every week. I mean, each episode, including the editing, probably takes me like probably five to six hours. So it is it is something that's very time consuming. So at the moment, the one I'm leaning primarily towards is uh, fan funding or crowdfunding model to begin with. And then as the audience grows, I certainly want to look into sponsorships and getting, um, you know, getting, getting companies or individuals to sponsor it, doing ad slots, that kind of stuff. Um, also, you know, directing people more towards my existing products and services, whether that's merchandising or a couple other ideas that I have in the pipeline. So those are all potential opportunities. There's loads of different ways to do it. So I don't want to do it in any way that's, um, going to kind of like alienate my audience or feel inauthentic or feel like a money grab or anything like that. That's something I'm quite wary about. I don't want it to, to be like that. But um, if I'm putting together content that people find valuable and interesting and entertainment and sorry, and entertaining, then um, yeah, I think there will be a way to uh, start turning that dial up eventually. But at this, I'm at this stage, you know, it's still very early. I still want to 10x, 100x my current listening audience. So it's still, it's, you know, it's, it's something I'm looking at with a very long-term perspective. I'm not necessarily expecting magic to happen, but, um, you know, I've, I've featured some very prominent guests already. I'm very happy with the direction it's going. I'm happy with the feedback and the interest that is being displayed in it. So considering I'm only two, two months in, it's looking very, um, it's looking very positive. So I don't want to kind of jump the gun too early or anything like that. So, um, we will see. Uh, I've been seeing how other podcasts are doing it, though, so I, I at least know what the opportunities and options are. Yeah, that makes sense. We kind of struggled with the idea of monetizing and how to go about that ourselves, and especially in the early stages, because obviously podcasting is like really new. Mm-hmm. So even though technically these are streams, you're not going to get paid for um, podcast lessons as streams. Yeah. So you have to kind of find creative ways to go about it so we went like looked for the sponsorship and we did the ad slots and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. as well have you oh have you um have you already started doing that yeah yeah we okay. we've experimented with different things mm-hmm. and i think like the main thing we focused on is content as a marketing strategy so putting out loads and loads of free content mm-hmm. and then um it's like freemium model so people will pay a premium to see or get you know a little extra dip on their chip, basically. Yeah. And how long have you guys had this podcast going for? Uh, since September 2017. Okay. So what, yeah. what, episode, what episode number is this? Um, <coughs> this is... <coughs> why am I... Why do I not know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I usually say at the beginning of the episodes, last like couple of episodes I've been doing that. But we had some technical difficulties the last few weeks so we didn't try out anything um, but yeah this is 65 65 65 okay no 67 67 67 okay yeah so you're, you're 47 ahead of me <laughs> yeah 
Yeah. I'll, I'll be I'll be catching up. I'll be catching up. <laughs> yeah. my, my my goal is now to overtake you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, how often do you do them? Is it is it, is it is it is it one a month you're doing? Sorry, one a week even. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Coming yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, have you have you got like a mailing list and all that stuff set up as well? I need to. I have a mailing list for my like a general one for my music, but um, I do. I will make another one separately for my podcast, just because I think they there's there's an overlap between the two audiences, but I think it's two quite different audiences. So I will get that up and running. That's a good reminder. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. That's important. Mm. Yeah, we're we're huge advocates of the mailing list over here. Like, oh yeah, because all these social media platforms it comes back to the whole thing of ownership mm, mm-hmm. like all these platforms you know we, we've seen recently especially like from your perspective having kind of conservative political views we've seen a lot of people who are more right-leaning or more even centrists mm-hmm. get kind of muted and censored and thrown off the internet and thrown off these <laughs> platforms uh, because they didn't have mailing lists yeah um, you know what's the name of the the fat dude from America? Alex Jones. Yeah. Oh, he's well, bigger than he's bigger than ever though, man. He's killing it. Oh, really? Yeah, man. No, because he's still got his website, man. Like everyone's just listening on his website now. Oh, so he's collecting the bag then? Oh no, I, I, he's he's that guy's good. He's good. Um, yeah. He's, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, by by deplatforming him, I think they introduced him to so many more people. I think it had that. What do they call it? The Streisand effect, right? Because suddenly people were like, "Oh wow!" Like, like even even myself. I mean, I've I've known about Alex Jones for years, but I'd never felt any interest in listening to him until they deplatformed it. I was like, "Man, he must he must be saying something." You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> if, if they're that keen to get rid of him, you're polarizing. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm like, he must be speaking some kind of truth that they don't want you to know. If they're gonna like just do a clean sweep, take him off Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, like they took him off everything, Spotify, iTunes, all on one day, they just clean sweep. So I'm like, man, he must, uh, he must know something that we don't. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, mean, that's, so, I mean, it sounds like you do listen to him. So does he? Oh, he's he's a crazy dude, but um, you know, he, he's he's he says like fifty percent crazy stuff, fifty percent stuff that's true. So, I mean, there's some crazy stuff he said in the past, which turned out to be true. So, um, there's also crazy stuff he said, which turned out to not be true. So, um, either way, he's entertaining. He's, he's a funny guy. Like, I'm not like a, you know, I'm not like a listener, but, um, I heard him on, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast, which I do listen to. And, uh, that (laughs) they did like a four hour podcast and it's just one of the craziest things you'll ever listen to in your life. And I'm just like, what on earth? Like, (laughs) it's just, it's just nuts. I don't even think I'm through the whole thing. I think I've listened to like two hours. Who has the time? Yeah, it's, it's nuts. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's, um, I don't know that the climate is, is strange in a lot of ways right now online. I don't know. Um, I think things will get better. I think the pendulum will kind of swing back around, but um, at least people are aware of it and people are talking about it. And people on people on all sides, like lo- loads of people, are talking about it. People are at least aware that uh, you know, this kind of silencing or deplatforming or censorship or whatever is happening, and people are kind of you know talking about it. People are not pleased with it. So 
Yeah, you know, it's good. I mean, the CEO on of Twitter was on the uh, was on Rogan's podcast last week. In fact, for the second time in like a month. So, you know, they're at least aware of the issues and concerns that people have. Because, yeah, I mean, I'm a big free speech advocate myself. Not something again. Not something I specifically planned on being, but uh, I've kind of landed in that water. So yeah. I do think it's uh, I do think it's important. I do think it's it's extremely important. Yeah, I guess it all kind of speaks to how lucrative notoriety can be if you know how to to monetize it. Basically, that's true. <clears throat> yeah, that's true. But you know, I think it's good. To, it's just good to have different perspectives on everything. You know, I, I don't like to ever be in an an echo chamber in life. I mean, it's quite it's near impossible for me to be because I'm surrounded by so many different kinds of people and different ideas and stuff like that. So it's cool. You know, I, I, like I said, I enjoy having long form discussions with people, whether it's online or in real life and just, you know, talking about different issues, whether they're serious ones or not so serious ones and just seeing how different people, you know, everybody has a different perspective on the world. Some of them might be, um, seem a little bit more crazy than others, but it's good to just, as you were saying earlier, just know how different people think understand human psychology, try to understand yourself, try to understand other people. And, you know, and, and it helps to build empathy as well. Because I think one that's one thing that's kind of missing in a lot of the current discourses, you know, just empathy, being able to see things from another person's point of view, other other perspectives, and not just screaming and shouting at each other and trying to shut people down and call people bad names. Just, uh, you know, just civility, man. It's very simple. Yeah, definitely. Oh, do you have anything to add? Yeah, um, I would really love for you to tell the listeners, anyone who's a creative entrepreneur, because we do have quite a lot. Um, <laughs> as much as we are creatives, we're going more of the, not traditional, but more skill-based first and then kind of like going after our creative vessels later on so mm-hmm. I mean not me I'm doing both he's doing I'm, both I'm breaking the rules really I can't really if if I was to go all out and do both it's not gonna work for me what, so what what are you guys primarily what kind of services are you guys primarily doing at the moment I take you're doing some yeah. freelance stuff yeah copywriting okay um, yeah. so that's me but I have always been some sort of, I've always been in like the marketing space, but more of like the creation and the strategy creativeness of it versus just, yeah, let me do this for your business. Mm-hmm. Like actually doing the bare bones and building a brand, you know, branding. I love e-commerce, all of that stuff. Okay. So I build my own brand. That's kind of like where my creative side lies, but I'm going to hold off for a sec and just focus on building, you know, building the wealth so that I can basically launch whatever, um, at whatever time that I want. So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Whereas me, I don't really care anything music, but I do do writing stuff. Like a thing of do the thing that makes money so that you have the space and freedom to be as creative as you want to be. It's mm-hmm. kind of as though it's harder to, like without a label of course to make money in music like significant amounts of money in music freelancing yeah um, you know as a producer as an engineer so it's easier to you know convince someone to pay you a thousand pounds copywriting than it is 
to do so musically. And I say that from experience. Unfortunately, at this point, the audio recording cut off. And so we didn't get the end of the interview. You can find Zuby on all social media as Zuby Music. That's Z-U-B-Y Music. That's on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the popular platforms. Go follow him, go stream his music. He's on all streaming platforms. And if you can't buy it twice, just know that there's rice at home. <laughs>